Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammā sāmputassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammā sāmputassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammā sāmputassa Uttam dhammam sāṅkham namasāvi So everyone gets settled in for the talk. Only questions nice and straight. It's nice to see that you're all uh, learning the convention of the eight precepts. You seem to work very well together as a group, learning the chanting. It's nice to see. And these conventions are things that carry us through in ways which are not just personal. And I was thinking how all of us, one of the common features we all have as, as personalities is I think we all do quite well in solitude. Somehow, monastic life probably attracts that. So we're all very diligent, and I think we enjoy enjoy solitude. You know, we've been alternating uh, days of silence. Chippy takes a day fortnight, and we seem to find that useful. And that's a kind of solitude too, isn't it? When we don't just practice normal science, can't always do that because we need to converse and work. So the solitude is uh, physical style. Solitude, Kaya Veka, is, is quite. Uh, we shouldn't do it well. Some people don't do it so well. They probably wouldn't be here. They need uh, more gregarious or need entertainment, so drive themselves crazy if they're alone. There was just a report in the in the news where they had uh, incarcerated a fellow that lacked panther for 43 years in solitary confinement. You can't imagine how cruel that is. And for probably a frame-up. And he had a uh, 6x9 cell. 23 hours he's in the cell. One hour out in a, in a, a compound to walk. He's shackled when he's walking outside. For 43 years. And... Uh, that's, I think the UN sees that as a form of torture. Those people go crazy. crazy like that. And that's an extreme I hope I never have to experience. I do enjoy humanity <laughs> in this group. So there is, there is solitude, but there's also kind of uh, craziness in, in the world too around that. But when we, when we come from solitude into to being with a group, the Vinaya and the, the eight precepts in our form that carries us. And that's what's important about trying to establish a, a monastic tradition in, uh, in non-British country. The monastic tradition doesn't just carry the monks, it carries the whole community in a way which is not personal, which is not just defined by a, a guru or a charismatic teacher or a fad or a, a kind of fashion of doing things in a certain way. There's a kind of timelessness about our our way of life that if you go you go back a hundred years time, you'd probably find a monastery you'd fit in quite easy. Food might be different, not, not as comfortable probably, but you'd fit in. And, and then you go to any country, or Theravada, even probably other monasteries, you pick out the form, you pick out the way people are functioning and, and uh, quite easily probably blend in, there'd be some cultural differences, but 
on the whole, it's, it's the way, because it's not based on, some, some of it's based on culture, it's not based on personalities and, and fads and things. So we, we try to uphold this, the eight precepts, our own Vinaya, and try to have a, a way of surrendering to forms and structures which are, allow us to watch, allow us to witness to how we experience. So we have times where we're in solitude and times where we're in communal activities. So now, at this part of the winter retreat, it's the form of the Maga, uh, Maga Puja. And we're, as you know, our routine will change now a bit for, not for the lay folk, but for the monks, the venerable uh, Subhijano and the Volcanico will be here for the meals and available for if you have any questions or difficulties or share a joke or whatever you'd like. I'm happy to be here with you. And then I myself and Ajahn Dao and Tan Kema will disappear into our solitude. And uh, it's a kind of, the winter retreat is a kind of homage to solitude and, and, and silence. You have this, this good opportunity. So it was a change, not much of a change really. And uh, that's a change, and then you watch how how the change affects you. Good, bad, and different, whatever. And um, the, the, the uh, just that movement of like solitude to community, movement of different people coming in and out. Our emotions react in different ways. We interpret it in different ways. We perceive it in different ways. We judge it in different ways. And all the time, there's this movement of the outer and the inner, the response and the reaction. And go. So for me, I've had a, a very pleasant surprise. I'm taking a medicine that Chunda gave me for one ailment, and it seems to help with my throat. And my throat goes laryngetic, is that a word? Laryngitis, laryngitic. Oh, I just made it a word. Okay. It goes laryngitic after about two verses of a chant. And now this medicine seems to help it. So I could. I could chant for the whole, you know, not the Sutta, whether it's in tune or not, I don't really care. <laughs> that's another story. But at least I could hold some kind of a note, so that's quite pleasant, quite delightful. And I, was, I, I expected this might happen. I, I hoped so, and there it was. So that's very pleasant, very pleasant, very pleasant kind of experience. And being almost 70 years old, I realize it's uncertain. Right? So, so there's the old Buddhist adage that, yeah, you yeah, don't get too excited here, don't you? <laughs> so tomorrow you may sound like a frog again. It will change. So, so we, we use that reflection to, to prevent the mind from getting too excited by that which is pleasant or rewarding or, or um, uh, beneficial or whatever. We always have that way of smoothing the mind out to equanimity by reflecting on the, the instability or the uncertainty of those kind of positive changes, but one can be grateful. And gratitude is a very wholesome response, isn't it? So I can get excited and say, ooh, my voice is fabulous, and start singing in the shower and so on. Or uh, I can do that, and I can watch my mind get excited, and I can say, oh, I just have to be grateful. And be grateful. Now, the reflection on change, when some things are, are, are pleasant, that can bring you to, to kind of upeka. Reflection on change when things are unpleasant ain't necessarily so, is it? Because a reflection on change isn't that it'll get better. 
Right, so if you're feeling sick and someone says, yeah, it'll change, yeah, I'll die. <laughs> or it'll get worse. So reflection on change doesn't necessarily mean that um, the negative parts of life, when they're reflected on to change, won't necessarily bring you to equanimity. It won't bring you to equanimity. But what brings you to equanimity is if you can't, it can be the anatta, contemplation of, of, of selflessness, but also some kind of a refuge. Because if you don't, if you don't have refuge, then an Ichitukanata has reflections is simply about the worldly dharmas, and they're only about the worldly dharmas, and, and the worldly dharmas are, are utterly inadequate. And, and that, I think, is very important in the teaching, that if, we only, if we're only uh, contemplating the worldly dharmas and we don't have refuge, then, yeah, it's, it's a bummer. But that's not what the Buddha taught. He didn't just teach that there is birth and death, and that birth and death are not self. But he taught there was, there was refuge. There was a transcendent, there was the unconditioned. Getting that right is terribly important. So if, if my, when my throat starts to go, and then I get diagnosis, well, your throat's going further, mate. You're going to get cancer and die. If I have my refuge, what the hell does Anicca help me? I know I'm going to die. Yeah, I, yeah, I know I'm going to die. So that's what, I, you know, that's what I'm afraid of. Or, or how can I get a cure so I don't die? And, and, and so on and so forth. So I can do all that I want to do about trying to keep the body healthy, and I will. You know, I'll take the meds and so on. I'm not going to, I'm not, I like to live in a comfortable body as much as possible like anyone else. But that can't be all it's about, is it? So comment like the, uh, what, what, what's the, the usefulness of the, the uh, refuge, uh, the contemplation of change. It's not, not about change, just about change, but as I was trying to indicate last time I spoke, was that when you're, when you're attentive to the changing, that very attention is actually unchanging. You notice the unchanging and the changing if you pay attention. So I was suggesting last time, you know, like, uh, squeeze, squeeze your right hand, squeeze your left hand. Right? I was doing that. Squeeze one hand, squeeze the other hand. Just do that. Notice change. And then notice what's not changing. Listen to sound. Feel the body. Listen to sound. Feel the body. Go back. Toggle back and forth. Why is it it's not changing? Start to get a sense of refuge by noticing change. Whereas if, if it's only about the little dharmas, if they're changing, of course they're changing. That's uh, not, doesn't take a Buddha to realize that. So when we contemplate the world of dharmas, what we're constantly trying to do is we're trying to give perspectives that help us to um, give us a context wherein we don't just get... Context which brings us back to, to refuge. So say, like, just my voice box now is now performing, for me, satisfactory. I don't know how you heard it, or that's your problem. <laughs> but for me, it was satisfactory. It actually performed. Now, as I said, that I could get excited about that and say, my voice is fabulous, and so on. Or I could say, well, that's nice. And I could contemplate that with gratitude. Oh, it's really nice at that. And that gratitude is something which brings me to a, a sense of peace, my heart is open, and it's, it's a kind of balancing effect. 
And I have a sense of refuge. Oh, thank you. I'm aware. Thank you for that. And then if it goes off again, then I use another kind of dark reflection uh, that it's supposed to be that way. Or it's changing, or it's uncertain, or can't rely on the voice box, or, or patience. Be patient with this, right? And that, that's always put a Dharma, it's a Dharma uh, reflection that puts a, a perspective on it that brings me back to refuge. At least for me, that's how I do it. Brings me back to refuge. So, so the voice box fails again, and I, I can look around for other medicines, the same medicine. But I, I, I reflect on it more as, as a function in nature, and as I re- reflect on a function in nature, I'm not, I'm not taken by it. I'm not taken by it. And that not being taken by the kindness, not being taken by sense experience, not being taken by the nature of things, is refuge. And it really is. And you begin to sense that, this kind of timeless presence uh, of knowing change is, is in itself refuge. Buddha knowing Dharma, as, as, as we said. So the worldly, you know, the worldly uh, things that we have, like good health and bad health, things like that, and friendships and, and disagreements and, and all of that, we still try our very best. We try to have good communication skills and good doctors, and, and we make sure there's uh, enough petrol in the car and all that good stuff. And, and we try to do it well, for the sake of what? Well, for the sake of others. We try to, to speak in ways which are, are harmonious for the sake of others, for the welfare of myself, for the welfare of others. And I put that effort forth, um, not because I think it's going to perfect anything, because it's the kind of, it's the dance I do, it's the craft I do. I try to live well in this world for the sake of trying to live well. Not because there's some ulterior motive, because the ulterior motive is always sort of bracketed by death and uh, uncertainty in that. But because, well, how else would I live my life? Which would try to live it well. But that's not my refuge. That's my craft. That's my uh, methodology, just to be mindful and be present and try to speak well and try to act well and try to uh, eat well and, and in, in, in all kinds of ways. Because that makes me more present when I try to when I try to speak in ways which are, are sensitive and, and, and uh, conducive to harmony, and then I can enter into disagreement and discord. But my intention is now, how can I cultivate the craft of speaking? That takes presence, that takes mindfulness. But not as end in itself, but more as the way of, of really being present to the way things are, and then finding refuge, finding refuge in, in all situations. And because all of us, I think, appreciate solitude, we do well in solitude, and where we lose refuge quite often in interpersonal situations where, where, where our buttons get pressed and we become whatever we become. And so to, 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 to bring up, to have enough presence of mind to see a personality trait come up into consciousness and, and witness this change, and take refuge in knowing change is hard. That's that's a very difficult one to do. But you have, have we have to bring the work to that, don't we? And so our guidelines around compassion, and right speech, and, and right action uh, help us to just to monitor where we're at right now. Help us to monitor, and then that that inner work of just trying to trying to perfect right speech, 
in all situations, trying to speak well into a uh, into some uh, disagreement, to speak well into it without putting the other person down. You know, so sometimes, like when we when we're having some dialogue with someone and, and they and we disagree with them, how well we'll say, "You always say it like that, don't you?" And we attack the personality, which isn't really a very good argument. It's just kind of going for the personality. You, you, you always function that way, and 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 then we're caught up in 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 a personality view and all that. But to actually to stay with an argument, to stay with a discussion for the sake of staying in discussion, or to not even have an opinion, or or to when someone expresses an opinion which you're against, to not say anything. And why 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 do I always have to oppose everyone whose opinion I disagree with? There's always kind of compulsive behaviors we have. I like to disagree with someone and, and just feel, oh, I disagree and I'll say anything. Or to say something, right? Not in any particular way, but no longer just being compelled by the need to be someone or something. And the kind of heart of equanimity which doesn't need to defend, which doesn't need to take a position, which can take a position if it wants, but, but doesn't need to all the time, which can debate a position and say, hmm, I don't understand that actually. Rather than the sort of tendency we have as human beings to just attack the personality, we do that. We do that very easily. Or attack ourselves as a personality. We do that very well too. So if we take refuge and we constantly remember that 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 centered, that centered sense of ineffable silence and stillness and peace, and and know that the reactions can be known through that. Then we can we can really train in those very difficult situations to become more to make refuge stronger. We really can. So the person that I react to the strongest, I can see that my sense of fear. Maybe we have a lot of fear as human beings, don't we? We express we tremendous amount of anxiety. You know, we're always manifesting about the future and what's going to happen and how's it going to be and. And this kind of tendency to go off in the future a lot, a lot, this kind of anxiety and fear that we have as human beings, which is set off by situations of people. And to kind of constantly to recollect that as it comes up in social situations or on your own or whatever, and have enough presence of mind to train with that, to train taking refuge when you feel those things. Well, how, how would you take refuge when you feel anxiety? You have to have enough presence of mind to see the changing nature of that feeling rather than the proliferation of thought. And if you do that, then it's not so much about the fear, it's about the capacity to take refuge in the most uh, extreme kind of situation. And the fear takes care of itself. It's natural function, natural phenomena. And that takes, that takes a kind of language a kind of self-coaching language, which always brings you back to Dharma. I notice that the the language of suffering is always the language of self, isn't it? So in our sutta, we just chanted, not the luck on sutta, we're trying to come back to the language of this is natural, these are natural formations, they come and they go. And then we watch the language of self, the language of self-disparagement, the language of judgment, judging myself, judging others, the language of... Uh, the language of storylines, right? The language of narratives, which goes on and on and on. And we somehow learn how to take refuge in even knowing that. 
watch watch the storyline change and say, what is it? What is it? What is not changing? So we use tricks like we we think the storyline for a sentence. I'm gonna get fired tomorrow or something, and, and, and watch before after. Now, even if you're speaking, you know, so it's like, like even as I'm giving this talk, I can I can reflect. What is I'm changing here? Is the language? Is the expression? Is my fingers moving, gesticulating, and and it's feeling in my knee? But there, if I just play around like that, what's not changing? There's refuge there all the time. You can do that. You know. You're at home and talking to your mate or whatever, and, or uh, friends or whatever, and, and having a discussion. You can watch yourself, can't you? You can notice yourself expressing yourself well or poorly. You can see you feel intimidated by one person, inspired by another. And, and as you're doing that, you know, well, there's always something, there's always something known, there's always a presence, there's always consciousness, it's always there. And, and, and you kind of try to bring in the idea of refuge all the time. All the time, all the time, all the time. So that the worldly powers, the social situations become secondary. They're important, not secondary in a, in a sense of being complacent or dismissive or lazy or whatever. They're important, but the primary is always a sense of refuge. If you don't make refuge primary, then the emotions become primary, lose and gain. Um, social relationships become primary, not reliable. Body, not reliable. Internet, not reliable. <laughs> <laughs> and you see it, as long as any external thing becomes the primary raison d'etre or whatever you have, that it's always going to sour on you. And, and the wonderful thing about refuge is that you you, you know you, you it's always available, right? That's the kind of irony. Right? And so our, our reflection on the greed mind, hate mind, the delusion mind is that it's always the reaction to the kandas. You know? Whereas whereas you know, say right now if I feel if I feel uh, uh, annoyed or something, say. Someone starts doing something in the audience, and you the audience, and I feel annoyed. I, I can know that, even while I'm talking, I can know annoyed, can't I? And I always have to know that. And then the annoyance goes away, and then I feel inspired, maybe to say something, and then I feel, oh, I'm really rolling now, it's working now, and then, and then I feel that, I, know, I can know that. And then my mind starts to think, what the hell am I going to talk about? I hope they're not falling asleep. <laughs> and I know that too, can't I? So there's, there's, this, there's this expression, there's this movement, there's my responsibility to give a talk and so on. But all the time, refuge is possible. It is. And you know, it's just it's so close to us that we, it's just so ordinary, so obvious that we, we miss it. Why? Because of great hatred and delusion focused on, on that which is changing. So the reflection on changing, uh, if you really, if you really can if you really hold your mind still with that, you notice that it's pointing to the unchanging. You have to be quiet to do that. Maybe you're just thinking, I want to find the unchanging. What's the unchanging? And you're just caught in the change, just caught in the perceptions and concepts and definitions and thought, just thought, and, and thought is really unreliable stuff. Um, so we make our minds quiet, 
So this retreat is fabulous opportunity. We have these natural, the natural environment, the full moon, very beautiful, and the snowscapes are very calming, and the uh, blue skies, and, and uh, we have a really good diet, and we, and we have warmth, and everyone has nice booties, and little spikes on their shoes, and all kinds of neat little things we have. So we're quite cozy and comfortable. And if you walk outside, and if, you, if you don't mind a bit cold, you just look out across the field, they're calming. They're very calming. So the whole atmosphere of the retreat is one that we're gifted, aren't we? For some obscure reason, we're gifted by this possibility. We're good people, we're living more lives, we have requisites. It's really, really wonderful. So we have a chance to meditate and calm the mind down. But if that circumstantial situation and uh, kind of sense deprivation to some extent, kind of unrealness of a retreat, so in real life. If we think that that's where it's at, then it seems we're, we're, then we you know, would be afraid to go back into complexity or resent complexity or whatever it is, and then we've lost it because we haven't really taken refuge. We've only appreciated, say, a kind of vacation from complexity, and we haven't taken true... You know, truly taking refuge, and we go back into complexity and, and uh, you know, we haven't developed a kind of uh, understanding of what this is really about, what the retreat is about. It's not about being tranquil or being excited or anything. It's about, it's always about taking refuge. But the, the quietness and the meditation we do with the breath or whatever you like, sound of silence or... Whatever kind of get, get, gets your mind into a sense of silence where you can contemplate like that. You can shift the mind from sense base to sense base. You see it moving, what's unmoving. You need quietness for that. If, you, if your mind's just like really worried about some family problem or whatever, then it's, you know, it's harder to do that unless you have developed a sensitivity to refuge. So, so the environment of the monastery allows for that now. And it constantly is unchanging. You know, all this. Is the unchanging just that my voice stops? No, that sound stopping. Sounds, but sound starts again, so my voice stops. What's unchanging there? And my voice starts again. That's not about silence in terms of audio sound. But there is a silence of knowing. And that we call Jitta Viveka. So we have Kaya Viveka, which is the, we like the, um, the serenity of, of, or the solitude of the body, you know, so to appreciate that. And the sense of being grounded in the heart of knowing, that's Jitta Viveka. Okay. Viveka means like, uh, it's kind of holiday, <laughs> being on holiday. Uh, being, being quiet, being solitary, and so on. So kindly, gently, so so notice in, in the movement there is this, this silence of the heart, the stillness. So play around with movement and then the stillness, and then cultivate that lot. Cultivate that lot. Use the you know use the samadhi object to get very good at that, and then use complexity to get even better at it. Even better at it. Whatever it comes up. Sickness, if I hope not, I hope we all remain healthy for the next 80 years. But if sickness should happen to manifest, 
where's refuge? Refuge isn't in my throat. Refuge isn't in, 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 in this body. So then when sickness comes up and I, and I feel discomfort and, and uh, just the horrible, yucky feelings of sickness, what's refuge? Certainly not in thought or worry. So thought and worry I have to use to try to get a diagnosis and go to the doctor and try to cure the sickness. That's my duty to the body. That's the compassion for me, the body. But where's refuge? Sick or not sick, where's refuge? Where's jitulu? So Kaya sort of falls apart and it's sick and so on. But where's jitulu? Where's the guy? Kind of salty to the heart? Where's that? It's always here. It's always here. Of course, discomfort, physical discomfort, creates a lot of worry, uh, creates a lot of desire to fix it, and that's biological. Because you know, you're kind of programmed to try to stay healthy as long as you can procreate the species or some obscure reason what is but you uh, the natural function of, of trying to heal yourself is always moderated by dharma it's always moderated by yeah I'll do my very best but it's not a refuge so it doesn't dismiss that so even within the discomfort of the flu or uh, terrible throat so I noticed with my my throat falling apart I was annoyed at it I get annoyed at my throat what's the use of that Pointless. There I was. So I'd be chanting, and and, I, and I, my voice would start to crack up, and I'd feel annoyed. And then I could notice, oh, what's 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 refuge? What's what's annoyance like? And then I, you know, during the chanting, I'm like, oh yeah, this is annoyance. And then you get that steadiness of the heart. Even annoyance comes and goes, throat comes and goes. You get better and better at that. And more more steady, more more steady. So I shall um, close now and, and leave that for reflection. Nandamiyang tamakatasa tukarang tatamase Sama